0: My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Got me going, one, two, three, four, one, two. Got me going.
1: Welcome back to Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason Woodbury. This week on the show, I am joined by Kurt Vile. His new record is called Watch My Moves, and it is out now via Verve Records, uh, home to legendary recordings by one of his all-time favorite bands, The Velvet Underground. Uh, I've been a fan of Kurt Vile now for uh, over a decade, uh, and it has been truly great to chart his growth and evolution as a songwriter we got into a lot of that in this conversation i spoke to him from his place in philadelphia uh where he's got a home studio overnight kv and uh and we got into the new record what propelled him forward talked a lot about uh familiar topics here on uh transmissions talked a little bit about his religious upbringing talked about his uh Uh, His relationship with the music of Bruce Springsteen, there's a great new Springsteen cover on the new record, talked about how he wrote one of the tunes uh, for Kesha originally, Um, and we got into sort of uh, uh, a little bit about what it was like for him to take some time off of the road and focus in on... Being at home and ha- coming up with building a space really where he could um, be free to to dig all the way in. Uh, this new record really does show kind of a remarkable evolution for Kurt. Um, for those who've been charting him over the course of the years, I think you hear a little bit of the early lo-fi, feral quality that was initially so attractive about his his music. but sort of with a refined mature sensibility um but yeah uh, the last time kurt appeared here on transmissions it was an interview conducted by uh justin gage aquarium drunkard's founder uh at his home in los angeles so if you finish this one and you're like i need to listen to more kurt vile on transmissions you can check that out in the archive you can also find uh so many shows there in the archive conversations with people like Bill Frizzell and Steve Gunn and Angel Bat Dawid and uh, so many others. If you appreciate what we do on this podcast, um, you can support us by, well, you can do a couple things. One, you can leave us a rating or a review uh, on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and jot down a few words about what you like about transmissions. Um You can also just simply post about the show wherever it is that you post about stuff you dig. Post uh, uh, um, some cover art to your feed or a link. Um, That helps new people find it. And if you really want to help us out, if you want to take your support even further, you can find Aquarium Drunkard over on Patreon and contribute a couple bucks to help us keep doing what we are doing. All right, with all that out of the way, how about we get into my conversation with Kurt Vile here on Transmissions. Watch My Moves is out now. I highly recommend it. Uh, here I am with KV. Hope you enjoy. I'll speak with you a little bit more on the other side. Hey Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy with unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on the Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash AquariumDrunkard To get started now, Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. Kurt Vile, thanks so much for joining us once again on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I think the last time you were on the show, you went over to Justin's house in LA. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. It was
1: cool. yeah. Well, well this this time we're doing it via uh Zoom, so it's probably less like uh <laughs> probably less of a vibe, but but I'm still glad that you agreed to do it anyway.
0: No, I, I'm I'm stoked to be back on. I, yeah, I love I love what you guys do over there. Well, so yeah.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm a big fan of what you do as well. This new record is really fantastic i've been paying attention to your stuff since pretty close to the start pretty close to the beginning of things and and i'm really interested in the way you know uh you kind of come full circle right you're you're doing things mostly uh at home these days uh kind of home recording which takes you back to the it's not like this new record sounds like super lo-fi or anything but it does have a pretty deep looseness to it um what did uh what did setting up your own home studio, overnight KV, what what was that process like for you and what did it mean to you to have a space at home to do your thing?
0: Yeah, well, it was it's funny because I was just working up to working up to it for so long. Like it was my dream. Even since you know, fill in the blank, every album I fantasized about having I think once I started going in the regular studio, you know, I, I, before before I went into a real studio, I would I'd be at home recording, do, doing the best I could, but dreaming of being in an actual studio. And once I got to the actual studios, that was cool, too. But somewhere along the way, you know, you always accumulate gear. Yeah. And you're like, man, I can't wait till I get back. It's a little nostalgic, but it's also a little just practical. Sure. Uh, and somewhere along the way, the longer it takes, the more it's built up in your head as this like ultimate cosmic oasis or something <laughs> you know? and uh so you know so i like yeah you know I, I got like a tape machine around the time of uh the making of believe him going down i had a rehearsal space then it wasn't a perfect it wasn't perfect by any means and then when i moved to this place that i live now i had a basement you know, but it was in a basement. So like I was like, Oh, this is gonna be I'm finally gonna have my studio. You know, this is like five years ago. And then yeah, because it's basement, like one thing, you know, you just don't know. You're like, Oh, we gotta get the heater replaced. No big deal, I'll just leave my stuff down here. What could go wrong? You know? Next thing, you know, everything's caked and dirt, you know, like yeah. <laughs> so many things happen and so anyway, by the end of bottle it bottle it in, the last record, I was so exhausted and I was like, I'm finally gonna you know, I gotta do whatever it takes to be fully functional in my home studio world. And even that took another two years and a pandemic to get done. But here we are, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I always love, um, I think about like the space where I record transmissions, like my, my office. Uh, and I, and I always, I I wonder if there are, you know, what's, what's your favorite thing down there in the studio, like non-musical gear, your favorite, toy or tchotchke or piece of ephemera something non-musical that you keep down there and you see it and you go like man i love that thing does anything come to mind
0: well there's actually so many things so it's funny to 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 hone in on one like (laughs) like you know my tour manager craig he gave me this uh, at the beginning of bottle it in we started in europe like we rehearsed in europe first and went on tour in europe and started in berlin more or less and I feel like, no, just between like press in Berlin and come back to Berlin, I went to the Ramones Museum in Berlin like yeah. three times, which is just a bar that has like a ridiculous amount of Ramones ephemera. Speaking of ephemera, anyway, yeah, my tour manager Craig got me this like sort of a Joey Ramone pillow doll or whatever. But my but but my daughters <laughs> give me things all the time, uh, you know. Uh, but even even more yeah that's kind of what's what's beautiful about it like the home studio is all that stuff that accumulates you know that's where it ends up anyway it ends up in your zone so it's everywhere Yeah. and uh, you know i got yeah i got this yeah just 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 records all over the place you know uh yeah tons of gear i don't, I don't know you know uh, a steel school a nice schooly d in a frame you know just yeah, yeah. Keep, it, keep it a philly keeping it local just thinking about the philly the Philly scene lately
1: <laughs> Philly, Philly pride right yeah, yeah 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 well that's awesome man i love i love that idea of you down down there sort of surrounded by all your your favorite stuff and 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 working on working on tunes this this record is you know it's like i i feel like you i'm a big fan of the best show and so i'm going to rip off tom sharpling something he said but like you've been on a streak for for kind of a while now a pretty impressive streak of just like great record after great record but this one it feels like i get the sense listening that there was a lot of um there was a lot of desire to really just sort of expand and go even farther and i'm talking like even beyond the fact that it's on a major label now and that you know you're you're doing different stuff but it really does seem like maybe the pandemic gave you a chance to dig deep and really think about what you want to do with your music. I mean, is that a fair way to put it?
0: No, it is. And like, I've been, I've been thinking about that and knowing I have it in me and every record I get deep into it in one way or, or the other, but yeah, just the fact that I, just the fact that I could have a routine and just like wake up in the morning and you know, and not have to rush somewhere. Or, or, no matter what, even though you're comfortable working with people to a degree in other studios, like at the end of the day, you're not you're not in your home. You're like literally and metaphorically, you're not. You don't have all your stuff at your disposal. Like it's just funny. I I had like so many guitars and things like that that even just because I didn't have a home base to even working all the time like i was just disconnected with every, all my instruments like anything yeah. like i had no knowledge of basic knowledge of amps or you know like the things that you don't <laughs> think about like because i would always just go you know right before a tour and go rehearse with the band some generic rehearsal place and then go out on the road and like sound check and or you know or go into the studio where i'd write at home by myself but then i'd go out and record elsewhere, and yeah, I, you know I'm proud of all the results, but yeah the dream was to get really comfortable and get really deep from home and and then you know, always having an extension and out you can't you can't get stuck in that one place like Rob schnaff was Jeff definitely who I've worked with for a long time, and i he came on here he's he's in l a you know he's got a studio I worked with him before, but he came to Philly once and helped a lot, even when he wasn't there just to help me buy gear and then I would go there as well, but but yeah, I think uh, I had even more of a point with that. But sorry, it'll come back to me. (laughs) You
1: you've collaborated with Rob a lot, um, and worked with him, you know, here and there on records. What what is it that you like about working with him? What does he What does he bring out in you that you appreciate, or 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 how did he How did he help you? Kind of how did he help point you in the right direction?
0: Well, I should say real quick. Yeah, Rob Schnapp, He helped produce this record, but, um, and I think is mainly because he got in touch with me back in the day, and and he worked with some of my heroes early on, like. But he he got in touch with me. He wanted to work with me first and foremost.
1: Yeah. And then
0: and then it's just the hang. We're like brothers, and he's also a little bit. He's like my brother, and he's a little bit also like my dad to make him feel old. You know, <laughs> but he's not he's not that old. He's not that much older than me,
1: but uh. He's a brother, yeah. dad. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good combo.
0: Yeah, I mean, if he had me, he'd have been pretty young. But that's fine. I mean, <laughs> it would also have been impressive if he had me. You know? <laughs> but um, but um, but anyway, he. At the end of the day, it was just, even like at the end of we we worked together for multiple records. He recorded the first thing he recorded was pretty pimpin', you know. But like, we did all kinds of stuff. But by the very end of bottle it in, I I booked one more session, one more gig so that the band, the violators, could go into the studio with Rob. Um and and we got at the end of it, we got that song Cool Water. So we it was this is January 2020. Oh wow, before the pandemic hit. And uh the first song we recorded in that session was the Springsteen cover, Wages of Sin. And we get we did like five or six songs, but two of them made the record. But I knew. Just from that alone, because that was the first time he actually recorded The Violators. Every other time it was like me and my bass player, Rob, or something. Yeah. Um, or, and guests like my friend Stella. So I knew, regardless, it was the vibe was awesome there. And we got some good magic before, you know, the world turned on its head. Yeah. Um, so I knew I wanted to go back there anyway. And I, I sort of I knew when I could, I'd go to LA and work with Rob. But I didn't know when, and we kept talking about it. And for a while, I was like, oh, maybe we'll get a bigger studio in L.A. and work there. And he's like, yeah, sure, I could come, Where I could come to you, too. And, like, believe it or not, no producer ever said that to me. You know, like, yeah. I was like, wow, if you'll if come to me in Philly, and then I, I was like, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to hold you to that. And also, and became more apparent, too. I was like, well, when I come to L.A., I'll just keep going to your studio. Like, why? That's the one thing the pandemic does. Like, you realize what's important. It's like, why would we go rent out some other studio in LA when this is where we've worked together all the time, but this time we, we can go back and forth. But I wanted to say one more thing real quick before I forgot that, but I also had two killer engineers in Philly. So that helped a lot. One was Ted young and he did a, he's, he's been a John and engineer on the, on the two records I did with John. So I, and he yeah. moved to, and then my buddy, Adam Langelotti, he, he built my studio from the ground up. So, it's all about, two on this record, I I couldn't have done it all myself anyway, like, or having a studio. It's kind of like in Philly, I, I was just, I wanted to come back to Philly, but I was disconnected in that I didn't even have a crew, you know? I had a bandmates, but that's it. So right. I got a solid crew. So between, like, Rob Schnapp showing up when he could and Ted Young being super pro engineer, and and then my buddy Adam Langelotti, who's a great engineer, but also he's versatile. Uh, so I don't, I don't
1: know. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. You were able to assemble kind of like a a little staff, a KV staff or something, which is, which is pretty yeah. handy to have. Finally, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love, well, so the studio is called, you call it overnight KV or OKV. Um, I, I imagine that's a, that's a, a reference to the fact that you'd maybe be in the studio at night after the family had gone to bed is that a, is that right
0: well that's that's a cool interpretation it could be that cuz that is my old style of recording is to work overnight but no over, okv it's actually called okv central central um overnight kv is my company it's like a song i have it's like a drone that's on my God is saying this to you album, but I I have a song called overnight religion somewhere along the line. Overnight KV just stuck out. I think I called an EP that at one point, but it's, it's just, uh, so OKV central is, it's like named after hillbilly central, which was (laughs) Waylon Jennings go to studio when he came, when he came into his own as like, uh, he took control of his life. He took control of his career, him and Willie together. They basically, you know, pulled out, they basically exposed Nashville, you know, the producers who had all the, they had all the control. And he said, no, I'm going to work with who I want. And he came out with honky tonk heroes. I don't think he even did that at Hillbilly Central, but basically around that time, he liked to always record at Hillbilly Central, which was Tom Paul Glazer's studio. And yeah, I don't know, I'm a big fan of Waylon in general, even when he was a produced no matter what, his voice was always great. But when he when he does come into his own and you, you see that shift, you you can't nothing can beat that. So that's just a good uh uh person to think about when when you wanna take control of your own life. Basically just get back to your roots, but like move forward at the same time, you know.
1: Yeah, is is that how it felt this, this this time? I mean, like at this sort of shift in your in what you were up to? I mean, did you feel like you needed to I mean, you've been pretty pretty open about being, you know, burned out by the road and needing to take some time, you know. I've I've thought I've always thought it was interesting, like, going as far back to the earliest records, I mean, you know, you're a family man. You don't have the same sort of like backstory that so many indie rock musicians do, you know, where you're just out on your own. You've always been a guy who has roots and has responsibilities. I mean, I, I I'm just curious if if it felt like there was this not a line in the sand, but a sort of thing where you're like, I I need to take, I need to take this in the direction that's right for me. I mean, is that sort of what was going through your head as this album came together?
0: Definitely, but also it evolved, you know. And and there was a moment where. Because I wanted, it was like sort of a dream to have the studio, and 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 I was just I, I'd always be traveling anyway, and then also have to travel to record. Like, if I, I wanted to basically have a bunker, like yeah. if I <laughs> if I wanted to, I could get everything done here. So that that and yeah, be around the family, but yeah, and then and then there's this moment where you dream of the studio and then there's the, the next moment where you have the studio and then everybody's looking to you like okay kurt here we are what do you got and then you're like wow this stuff, this feels completely unnatural because now it is my home and then you get past that other end and finally some good music comes out of it and i think the very the first fully formed thing that came out of here that i felt basically like i was whaling or something was my song mount airy hill which was just fully fully solid coming yeah. out with the in, in our all done at the house, you know? And I was like, wow, you know, that, that was me coming to my own right there for what, you know, some, some new step forward. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah.
1: I, there's so many songs I want to ask about. I'm really curious about, well, I I really like how in going on a plane today, first off, that's a, that's a great sounding song and it's a really unique opener for the record. Cause it's kind of got this like, you know, it's a little curious as an opener, maybe not the most natural that you, you know, maybe start with a big rocker or something, but you kind of go this other direction. You kind of have this weird little piano jam. That's really cool. Um, But I was thinking about, you know, that lyric about going to open shows for, for Neil Young and, and hearing you talk about how sort of the difference between the dream of something and then the reality of it, you know, that must be a weird thing to wrap your head around. Uh, You sing, imagine if I knew this when I was young, sort of about this idea of of getting to go open those shows for Promise of the Real. Um, is that a weird... I mean, what's that space like, right? Where, like, the dream has come true. Does it end up feeling surreal? Does it end up feeling uh, uh, awkward, you know? How, how, you know, what what sort of the, the emotional space that you were in thinking about that song? Um yeah
0: i mean to open those shows for neil young you mean um yeah yeah it was just one show no that was beautiful and i think that line was just tossed off around the time that i was writing that song i i basically that was i remember i wrote it like that p- kind of dreamy piano line right before i literally got on the plane to open you know the, and it was just one show but uh, it's fun to just keep the myth alive because <laughs> hilarious things happened at that show you know like uh i mean yeah, it was was in front of 80,000 people, but I I remember yeah, I was like just going to open up for Neil Young. And and then I I knew the song had potential, but it it was also just a couple of verses and I always assumed there'd be more, you know, I assumed it was an intro or something and but I, when I did write it, I, it did sound like it, it should open a uh, an album and yeah. um uh but then yeah, it was like years later that I finally was able to capture that in my house because it was a song i wrote in my house on the piano it's almost like it kind of makes yeah it's it makes sense with the record the way the record is really it's like i'm in my house there's my piano there then i have to hit the road and open for neil young or fill in the blank <laughs> yeah and like how often it took years before someone actually miked up that exact piano you know yeah. to to get it because you know what I mean, like I could I could try and play that song on in another studio, but it wouldn't seem the same. So it's kind of funny, you know. I don't know.
1: I like the horns on it a lot. The horn chart is really cool.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that was like the one. Uh, the first instrument I ever played is trumpet, and I I'm not very. I've always I got I get back into it, you know. And it was the only instrument I learned to read music. But even that's very foggy or non-existent. But but though. I did write that horn arrangement, you know, very simple, and I yeah. played the trumpet. And and then, but then a legit horn player, being James Stewart from the, the Sun Ra Orchestra, really, really solidified it by playing tenor sax on it. And he said, he said we got him on film. He's like, well, when he showed up, you know, he's like, well, whoever played the trumpet didn't play it very well, but I, I'll play along. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I was like,
0: just smile. I was like, that was me.
1: <laughs> but um, an honest, but, yeah. an honest dude. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, because he's he's he's
1: a real thing. And <laughs> but
0: anyway, yeah. But I'm glad you like the arrangement. Thank you.
1: He's he's a fascinating guy. I love that he's in the video for like exploding stones. Um, you know, as a Philly guy, you mentioned Schooly D earlier. I mean, Sun Ra has history in Philadelphia that's really intense. And uh, how, how did how did you first? Get into Sun Ra stuff. Do you remember? I mean, how you got introduced to to the music of of Sun Ra.
0: Well, I mean, I I heard it early on. Like, I guess in my twenties, people would play. You know, space is the place. I yeah. I didn't not like it, but I I guess I was. I don't know how much out jazz I was listening to at the time. I was into certain jazz. Sure. Uh, but he he creeped up on me because friends. You know what I mean? The the Philly scene in general, like uh, Philadelphia Record Exchange and friends I have here, or my buddy, my buddy Richie, who has a, a label, Richie Records. I don't know. I feel like everybody's. I feel like Sun is real strong in Philly, so you see, you see him as a spirit. You see him as a someone to worship for mm-hmm. a while, but then eventually, he his music just creeped up on me. I don't. I mean, definitely there were these certain bootleg cassettes that were were coming out that i liked like those loathed sound bootleg cassettes i that's i think that was the label they don't make them anymore and that and then because i was into you know pharaoh sanders and all that but i don't know somewhere along the way uh certain Sun Ra was creeping up but then over the pandemic just on a whim i got i got i got some of his they they just reissue so many of his records and they're all uh intriguing just to look at in general and then yeah but I got the "Spaces of Place" biography sometime over the pandemic, and I read literally just the introduction at first, and it was stimulating enough that it triggered, you know, because I like to sit around reading anyway, uh, um, And often it's jazz music because there's no words, so I can read and, and, and listen at the same time sometimes with Sun Ra there is words are a lot actually. So sure so I learned that sometimes I can't be reading, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's like a good place to just take you to outer space. And and I don't know, he's just such a fascinating story. Yeah. Like it, it's like, it's like uh yeah, like taking the layers off an onion or whatever. Like once you get deeper and deeper, y- you know, it, he, he, there's no there's no comparing like once you get once you go down that
1: rabbit hole he,
0: he can't come back really you know <laughs> he's,
1: yeah he's just, he's i, I i'm sort of embarrassed because i don't know if i know how to pronounce the author of that book's last name right uh is yes, it... Zwed.
0: i don't i don't know if you could either John wed
1: John wed's ved uh yeah. i even emailed with him uh about I wrote a piece about uh, theosophy and and included some discussion of Sun Ra because obviously Sun Ra had a pretty developed and out there metaphysical worldview, you know, it was sort of this like I read that book during pandemic as well. Actually, it was like a uh, it was such a you're right when you talk about sort of the peeling the layers back because there's so much to examine when it comes to a character like Sun Ra. He doesn't feel—I mean, he talked about it all the time, right? He was a, a myth as much as he was a person, you know? He was creating this big, huge story that uh, it's really—it's it's just, like, mind-blowing to wander into the world of, of Sun Ra. I've got a bunch of his poetry and stuff around, and I will open it up, and, and uh, I think I'm looking— That's— uh... There's one over here called like Planet Earth is doomed or something, you know. And I found yeah. my I found that one resonating <laughs> pretty uh pretty heavy with me lately. But yeah, Sun Ra is such a fascinating character, and I love I love the way he created a myth about himself. You know, that's something that that is uh that's really unique. And and it it's like you can spend all your time listening to the music. You know, but then on top of the music there's there's books and there's symposiums and he he, you know, would give these talks and he would have these reading lists. So it's like Sun Ra is like a whole world unto himself, you know?
0: Yeah, totally influential. And like, yeah, once you know more of the story, it just uh Yeah, it like illuminates the listening sort of like like I, that's happened with lots of people, my heroes. I read, you read about them and then all their records become virtual reality because you know what was going on. Yeah. And then, once, and then you come across someone like Sun Ra and then add to that. Yeah. That he is so much history in Philly and the house is, you know, pretty close to where I live. I've, I I, remember I ran over there the day that Trump was out of office, you know, for some reason I just had to go there and I just stood out front, you know, but like, yeah. Yeah, once you stumble upon him, (laughs) it's hard to go back to anybody, you know, like, even uh, one thing, you know, he's just a great leader uh, to comical proportions, too. There's, you know, the way he would control his band. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then the way he just recorded everything, which I know Neil, that was my favorite thing about Neil Young during Muddy Track, where he's in an argument with his bandmate, Billy, I think, Talbot, and he's like, anytime Billy said he didn't do something... Uh, Neil said, Shall we review the tapes? I mean, <laughs> he recorded everything. Yeah. And uh, Sun Ra did that as well. Like, you wouldn't, he wouldn't have all those albums if he didn't re- record rehearsals and things like that. And I'm inspired by that concept now that I have my own home studio, things like that. Yeah. And that's just like one little thing, but it's true. It like the music just comes out of thin air. You know, people think, people think you're supposed to sit there and polish it and then go out and perform it. But that's just because that's what society handed to us to a degree. But right. but those cosmic figures like Sun Ra are like, no, you know, life, life is music, you know, and whatever.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I, I totally know what you mean. I once interviewed how Gelb from giant sand and he was like, there's two, my two biggest influences are Leonard Cohen and Neil Young. And he was like, uh, And Leonard would take a song and craft it for years. He'd craft it for a decade, you know. He's like, and Neil would start a song up, and it would be he'd be done writing it by the time the the, he was done playing it. You know what I mean? And uh, he was like, for better or worse, I followed the second path in terms of my uh, my general style, you know. Which I, I I like that though. I like that like the 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 you know the beauty of a recording right and and having a, a space down in your in your own basement is that yeah you can capture those little moments and those those like snapshots in time and they can become other things you can use them as like a the basis for or another recording or they can just exist all on their own that must feel great i mean you you've got like a ton of unreleased material right
0: i do and 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 even just the making of this record alone like Sort of, yeah. So, also, I got the studio, but also, just have all kinds of recorders around you. You know, iPhone being a last resort, but, like, at least for me, but, you know, like... Sometimes those iPhones...
1: Yeah, those iPhones They sound great now. They can, yeah.
0: They sound great, especially now the new one. I got a brand new one. You know, this is a commercial for iPhone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And uh, But, yeah, just having all kinds of recorders around, and, and those boss loopers are crucial, too. A lot of uh start like some of the synthier things on this record started out on a boss looper or yeah where you like lay down this cool sounding synth really quick and um
1: yeah yeah that's that's awesome you know another song i was curious about was was flying like a fast train um i i read at least on the apple music thing that that was originally written for for kesha is that is that right
0: Well, it was written inspired by Kesha because she had just gotten in touch and she said she wanted to write songs together. I was totally flattered. It came out of nowhere. And I was also inspired and I did at that time. I didn't, I mean, I I remember I would hear, I didn't listen to much pop radio, but I remember in particular, I was like in a Uber and there was some pop radio where, you know, but I think it was even like a, a mix of some of her song combined with hip hop, but it did sound really good. And, and then speaking of Tom Sharpling, he's the one who told me, I told him Kesha got in touch. He's like, I love her. I was like, really? What songs do you like? And he's the one who told me the songs that he liked And I, that, you know, he was my gateway into her. And I, yeah, I walked around listening to her and one, I was just couldn't believe she wanted to work with me, but two having two daughters and stuff. And they reacted to her right away Songs like "Praying" and "Die Young" and TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is so immediate. I don't know. It's funny though. But they got she's got, and then I just listened to all her records. And then we did have a few meetings, and I did write with her in mind, and uh, and we did collaborate a little over Zoom. Even tried to have a. She was in the studio, and I was over here. It was during all that. But early on, yeah, I wrote "Flying Like a Fast Train." It's got kind of fast lyrics and like the imagery comes fast, like flying acid flashback, flying saucers, black coffee, pink lemonade from the faucet, seeing dragons. Yeah. But there's, but there's a pretty baby. Come on, let's go tear up the city. No, <laughs> I think we better slow it down. Yeah. And, like, and I I remember I bought. Yeah. So I, I had I was thinking more like a Bob Dylan style, you know, old fashioned. Like, oh, I got this song for you. And I did send it to her and she did like it. Um, uh, and we just never got to be in this actual studio together. Yeah. And somewhere along, she did say she wanted to do it, but somewhere along the way, basically that, that was, you could call that the first recording session for this record during the pandemic. My, my, my family went to visit, my wife went to visit her dad in, in the, in like in the countryside and the, they like slept they camped out in his backyard while I stayed. I had, I stayed home and it was the summer of 2020. Yeah. Um, and I bought this refurbished Marantz cassette four track. And strangely enough, I never used a four track back in the day. So I was like, all right, I'm going to set up these mics and get these demos together for Kesha. And I'll do this flying like a fast train song just so. And then it, it came out so KV and it captured early on, you know, (laughs) that like i mean i i like the idea of her doing it but i knew that version would most likely have to exist too and yeah <laughs> you know now obviously it's the only one that exists but i we ended up adding i had added lead guitar to it later but it was just the live acoustic 12 string and vocal and drum machine and and then um then yeah i added lead guitar towards the end of the sessions like you know over a year later in the summer and then Legendary drummer Sarah Jones from Hot Chip, but now she drums for Harry Styles. She was the first, you know, I got to, over to LA and yeah. she was the first person I played with when I re record with Rob Schnaff again. And she had just had a baby. And it was just amazing. I, the reason I like her because I saw her over the pandemic. They do those cool Zoom sessions and it was Dave paho Alexis from Hot Chip, and Sarah. And they did a cover of Ween's Sarah. And it was oh. so beautiful, and I watched her play. And I, and I just thought I'd ask. I just thought I'd ask if she would play with me, and she responded. So anyway, that's that's crazy, right? A song, yeah. "One Summer," is a demo for Kesha, and then <laughs> it, it comes back totally KV, and and then um, you know, over a couple of years, there's a few sessions, and it becomes this pop pop jam. You know, <laughs> it's own.
1: Yeah, I love when a when a song has a backstory like that. You know, I always think about how Sp- Springsteen wrote, you know, "Hungry Heart" for the Ramones or whatever. Um, and I can totally hear in there's like an alternate reality where I can hear that song being done by the Ramones. You know, it's like pretty oh, yeah. sim- pretty easy to hear it in my head. But of course, like you said, your lyrical phrasing and your lyrical style and the kind of way you you play with words is so uniquely you. I really now I really want to hear Kesha do it, so if Kesha's listening, she's probably not. I'm gonna be honest kurt uh but um, but if she is, she should cut her version of it. I really want to hear her uh rap like her voice around those lyrics. that'd be cool. she does have a great voice i yeah, I,
0: I love yeah, i w i think I think she's awesome, but uh
1: well speaking of speaking of Springsteen, you know, you cover wages of sin on this record and. Obviously you covered Downbound Train in the past and so you're you're like a boss head you know you know you know your deep cuts. I was curious if uh you know I I I do my best to pay attention to the entire Springsteen, you know, discography. Uh I wonder if there are any Springsteen records or songs that you especially like that you don't hear people talk about all the time, you know? His his catalog is so deep. Um does anything come to mind in terms of like uh lesser discussed Springsteen jams that you really really like? Well, it like
0: that's that's the beauty of Springsteen. I've been a fan for so long, but like in my 20s, I would say he was my favorite in the world, and now I can tap into that feeling,
1: you know, sure, sure,
0: anytime. That's the beauty, like uh, and then so you know, on a more, more basic album uh, level, not getting into like the outtakes or B sides yet. You could say songs like a lot of people know them, but not everybody because they don't hear them on the radio, but the song, you know, Atlantic city is if I, if I had to pick a number one, like if somebody yeah. had, yeah, I'd say Atlantic city. Cause for the feeling that it gives me from Nebraska, but, uh, and then there's, I, I, and I love the heartbreakers, like yeah, on like the river and Independence Day. Yeah, you know. But again, they th- those are both from the river. Independence Day hits me hard because it's like, you know, a son leaving his dad. I don't know why it hits me because me and my dad always got along, but like it still hits me pretty hard. That song the wrecks weird, me. Yeah. Song. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and then yeah, wages of sin was from tracks, uh, a collection of outtakes. Yeah. And I was into that in my mid to late twenties for sure. And then we, the violators tried to do a capture a version of it. That that's actually the first Springsteen cover, I guess we tried to record. Um, so there is an early version that exists, uh, but, um, but on that album tracks alone, I was reconnecting with tracks. Somehow the song Sad Eyes from tracks popped mm. up. And I, it, it, it was when I was touring, bottled it in, and I was pretty exhausted by the end of that in Europe. And I turned my latest drummer, Kyle, onto Wages of sin, sin during that time. But I think another reason I was listening to Springsteen a lot then was because his latest album at the time, Western Stars, came out. And that was my favorite album of his in a long time. And the very first song on there, Hitchhiking, yeah, uh, such a good song. Uh, I I don't know. It hits me. It, and uh, yeah. yeah,
1: for sure, it's cool to hear him in that sort of AM gold mode. You know, uh, that's that's a unique thing. It's it's weird because like I think about like Springsteen from the last twenty years or whatever, and um, that song "Girls in Their Summer Clothes" always hits me really hard. Do you, have you ever heard yeah. that one? Yep. Yeah, it almost Is sounds like a, a magnetic field song or something. <laughs>
0: Is that on
1: Magic? It's on. It's on Magic. Yeah, which is the other favorite of mine from that era. Yeah,
0: yeah. literally that album came out, and maybe that was my peak love of Springsteen. But I was like, man, I, this is my favorite Springsteen new Springsteen album. It might go Magic <laughs> and then Western Star. Like, I yeah. mean, I'm I, I listen to more in between, and I I got really into the Wrecking Ball when it came out. Like, yeah, but yeah, minutes since I I guess heard a new springsteen album and you
1: that's like that. why he's
0: the boss you know that's why he's the boss because he'll come back around and remind you why he's the boss you know
1: yeah absolutely absolutely well i want to ask one more thing um you know jesus on a wire really caught my ear and i wondered if it's not too weird if uh what kind of what kind of religious background do you have kv did you grow up in church mm,
0: well you know what I was about to say no, I didn't, but yeah, I did,
1: uh, but not <laughs> yeah. by choice, you know. <laughs> sure, uh, sure.
0: But I, I, a lot of my family is religious, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. They're all great people, and I'm happy for them. I don't, I'm not like particularly practicing religion, but I, I heard it a lot growing up. But the Jesus thing comes out one. I would say sure. It's because I was brought up in religion a little bit but also so many people pull from jesus you know you mentioned leonard cohen and Dylan. uh that that song came real quick it was my first jesus song in a while but right i remember i was on tour and again in in europe exhausted i had a day off and i brought a guitar with me didn't play it the whole time just watched netflix and then like 10 minutes before it was time to go i was like "Ah, i better play this real quick and the song just came out really quick i was like oh another song from d to c you know like sure pitch, those are the easy ones and like i had a capo on of course but anyway uh like it just came out really quick and and then at, by the end i allude to my song jesus fever which i think i added later but i think it was just because uh the news was always toxic yeah you know and uh it's just like the idea that uh nobody uh can help, but that's not true you know hopefully that's not true but it's 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 uh it
1: feels that way sometimes certainly f- has felt that way for the last couple of years
0: yeah but but uh it's good to stay positive you
1: know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of positivity uh you know one more thing as we wrap up because I know you you gotta go soon so um I, you know, I thank you for your time for sure. But uh, another, you know, in addition to that Sun Raw book, and in addition to the best show, which really helped me get through the pandemic, uh, you know, your, the record you made with Courtney Barnett, "Lot of Sea Lice," I found myself returning to that one a lot actually um, over the the course of the weird, especially through the lockdown. But but since then too, you know, it's it's you've made a lot of records that I really really love but there's something about that one that just feels a little bit like a bolt of lightning like something really really cool and really interesting happened between the two of you you know you and courtney it feels like there's this this deep connection and i wonder if uh you know w- if you could share maybe like w- what did you what did you learn from from working with her or what was your big takeaway from that from that project and and then the subsequent shows and stuff, you know, does anything come to mind? Well,
0: Courtney, she was the first artist, I guess, in a while that I just heard her song on the radio. Maybe I wasn't listening to as much new music for a minute. And then her song, I knew her a little bit anyway. I met her, I played some shows, but anyway, I, so i it was familiar anyway. But then she, that song depressed and I heard it on the radio and it, yeah. it just cut right through like uh, just a... Uh, just in the songwriting and, and the way her voice is. And, like, it was simple but profound and and confident but, like, not too, like, like a confident story but laid back, whatever, so many things. Yeah. And it's just a great song, and it hit me, and I, I just wanted to, I just was simultaneously obsessed with, like, starting to get obsessed with George Joan and or Jones and the idea of like um duets, you know, like Tammy, et cetera. Yeah. And and I just had this song. I knew I, I just connected with her. I, I connect with Australians in some ways. And I, I just thought, let's let's try this one song and then she's like into it. And so she wrote one. And that was like the first session was just us doing those those two songs and then and then and then courtney was like oh let's make a seven inch and i was like this is so good let's at least make it an ep so it's a 12 inch so it won't get lost in the (laughs) yeah in the the record store and then i came back the next time to australia and we just thought all right let's try for an ep or a little longer And, and we just hit it off it was just even though it was like we were becoming friends but at the same time like the label was interested in putting it out so we had to still feel feel each other out uh to know if it was totally real you know so sure. so then we got together and it was went once we got together again it was so the music we picked some of the covers i feel like i picked a belly cover from when i was younger that was nostalgic and we picked a other couple other covers and and i wrote uh, uh the other single whatever with that finger picker right now i can't think of it but um uh there was enough like of songs we wrote together and then some covers and to switch you know each cover each other that yeah in a few days or six days or so and then maybe i went on a solo tour and came back we had nine songs and and we be- became good friends and we just it was just nat- like that that's that's an example of, I guess, uh yeah, it is sort of like lightning. And then we just became even more friends just doing the tour. Uh I just like to put yourself out there, I guess. You know, I, I wanted to work with her. I was a fan. Yeah. I know she was a fan of my music too, but she she's a little different than me, where she's I feel like she was a little more tentative uh, in some ways, you know, but then once it's actually happening, uh, it was, it was undeniable. And I'm the same way where I, I wanted, I was really excited for it to happen, but I'm, I'm I'm sort of like dreaming about, I don't know exactly how it's going to be, but I'm, of course, it's going to be something magic. You know, I don't know that that's, you know, I'm not even, I'm not, I might even be, unintentionally putting words in Courtney's mouth, but the the thing is that it was, it just became real. It became real. Uh, uh, Yeah. We just connected. And and if anything, that was also, I learned that while on the road, might as well go into the studio where before I thought, Oh, you'll be tired. You don't want to do it all. It's like, no, that, you know, that's the birth of bottle it in more or less. It's like, I'm on the road. I'm out here with the band or whoever I'm with. Yeah. I'm going to hit studio when possible that same with the nashville ep like that was when i was on the road it started me doing a cover of speed of the sound of loneliness around the same time that's when i sort of knew this is the time when i'm out here working yeah see what happens because otherwise yeah nothing will happen so you (laughs) just gotta put yourself out there you know
1: well Kurt thanks so much for hanging out uh, I'm really excited to see you here in Arizona in a couple months and, uh, and uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time this morning to hang out and talk about all this, all this stuff uh, thanks for being here with us on transmissions
0: yeah thank you so much
1: That's going to bring this week's episode to a close. Thanks so much for tuning in. It means a lot to us. As I mentioned at the top of the show, leaving us a rating or a review wherever you listen would be very helpful. Uh, We appreciate you doing what you can to spread the word about transmissions. We come to you as part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. And our executive producer and top of show announcer is Aquarium Drunkard's founder, Justin Gage. Don't miss his weekly Aquarium Drunkard radio show on Sirius XMU every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST. Appreciate you sticking around till the very end. Uh, I want to encourage you to come back next Wednesday. We'll be back with another all-new episode. And I will be joined by Sarah Martin from Bell & Sebastian to talk about that band's history and their really cool new record, A Bit of Previous. Uh, So I hope you will join us for that chat. And uh, until then, stay safe and be well. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kurt Vile. You can get uh, Watch My Moves Now wherever you get records. You can listen to it on all the different streaming sites. And I highly recommend going and picking up a physical copy Kurt Weil is a great artist to listen to uh, on a physical format. So uh, so do that if you dig. Uh, Thanks so much for sticking around. Uh, Appreciate your uh, attention so much. And thanks for listening to another edition of Transmissions. We will be back next Wednesday. Uh, Until then, be safe. This transmission is concluded.
0: Palace of OKVM reverse. Gets on Roots pulled back.